you're headed to the nursery or kids club, you're excused. Otherwise, take out a Bible and open it to Exodus chapter 16. In 2013, I had the privilege of leading a group of college students on a missions trip to Haiti. After a week of partnering with a local rural church to do all kinds of ministry projects, we came into our last night very cash poor. Now, this is going somewhere. I always took extra money on mission trips in case of emergencies, and this trip, we had two. I had to take a girl to the hospital. We ran into some other issues. So when we came back into Port-au-Prince, ready to fly out the next day, we had no money. So I had to explain to our students that for dinner tonight, we're going to raid our bags. I knew we had fresh mangoes, I knew we had fresh avocados, and I knew we had beef jerky, and I knew we had granola bars, so we were going to be fine. That's the plan. So we headed out into Port-au-Prince to see, do some sightseeing. We'd never done that on the trips we'd gone on before. So we tour around Port-au-Prince and we come back to our hotel about 7 o'clock, excited about our dinner of avocados and beef jerky. When we come back to our hotel, which you should know was not particularly nice. However, it was the hotel that Westerners stay in Port-au-Prince because it has security and it has a wall. So we come back to our hotel and our parking lot is full. Totally unexpected. When we finally find a parking spot and park, we wander into our hotel, tired, depleted, and worn out. We walk into the craziest ordeal that I've experienced. Because as we wandered into our hotel lobby, we find out that our hotel has been rented out by the Food Network. Now, this is not a joke. They have two celebrity chefs who are there working with 30 Haitian chefs, creating meals so that they could teach and show some of the uh, writers and some of the people, journalists in the area, but Haitian food could look like. Now, I can't explain to you enough of the extreme difference between expecting to have nothing and walking into a Food Network buffet. I mean, the fact that Aaron Sanchez, John Besh, there was another guy, I don't remember his name, with huge platters of shrimp jambalaya, with shrimp as big as I can fathom, it was different than we expected. I actually tried really hard to find a picture. I contacted several of our college students, but having told them that we probably shouldn't take pictures of this moment, uh, we don't have any. In a moment of need, we were provided for. In a moment of need, we were provided for, and we were provided for in a way that was beyond any expectation that we could have conceived. We were provided in a way that blew our minds. And friends, this morning, as we open up the book of Exodus, we're going to talk about the God who provides, a God who meets our needs and a God who meets our needs in a way that, that is beyond any expectation we could conceive. 
So as we open up Exodus 16, I want us to see a God who provides, and I want us to see a God who provides both qualitatively and quantitatively. That's those are going to be the two points we're going to press on this morning. So as we open God's word, let's pray about our time together. Gracious Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Father, we have sung, we have prayed, and now we open your word. God, it is our desire that you would open your word for us this morning, that you would grant us understanding, that you would grant us insight. God, that you would bring us to the truth. Father, not just so that we would see it, but so that we would believe it. Father, would you be at work in us this morning, helping us to hear, minimizing our distractions, and magnifying the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we could see that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only thing that can meet our needs. Father, we ask that you would do this amongst your people this morning. We trust that you will. Amen. Exodus chapter 16, we'll start in verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. By the way, that's a takeoff of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. We come into Exodus 16. Moses sets the context for us. If you're just with us, you should pick up. The Israelites have left slavery. They've just crossed the Red Sea, and now they're moving into the wilderness. It's worth noting the rest of the Pentateuch happens in the wilderness. And so it starts a second section in the book of Exodus. I put this before you once. I'll bring it back just to keep us on track. You want a good way to think about Exodus? Chapters 1 through 15 pertain to the Exodus story, leaving Egypt. Second section. 16 through 18 covers the journey to Mount Sinai. We'll be here this week and next week. Chapters 19 through 24 has the Israelites camped out at Mount Sinai. The last 15 chapters talk about worship. Just want to keep you in line with the big picture. We're on a journey to Mount Sinai. So verse 2. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." Now, if you're working through the book of Exodus, you would find this is the third time the people have grumbled. What becomes a little bit unique about this one is they're grumbling not at God, they're grumbling at Moses as if Moses is responsible for them, when in fact it's God that's been leading them. This is the, I just, this is the third time, I've lost myself. They need to be reminded that this God who is leading them 
freed them from slavery. They need to be reminded that this God who brought frogs and gnats and flies and boils and hail and locusts, that this God who could bring them through the Red Sea, this God who sweetened the water in Mara in chapter 15, that this God is faithful and yet they're grumbling. They're getting caught up in their situation. So this is a question I want to ask us to consider on the front end. How do you think God should react? How do you think God should react to this kind of grumbling? Theologian once said, the most important thought you have is what you believe God thinks about you. And I bring that up because it has everything to do with what you import into this moment. Because when the Israelites grumble, if you're expecting quick and fast judgment, that says a lot about what you think God believes about you. Because I suspect most of us think God is going to be angry. He's going to react with madness and discipline. And yet when we lean into the text, that's not what happens here. God seems to understand his people. God tends to know exactly where they're at and he knows exactly what they need. So in spite of their grumbling, he sees the need that they have and he steps in. Well, that's the gospel. Verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. God is leading his people. Don't forget there's still a a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that is going before them, but despite just God's leadership, God is providing for them. Let's pause for a moment and think about that. We often think about God's leadership in good times. We often think of being clearly directed by God. We often think about being provided for God in good times. And yet we can be tempted to believe that he is absent in hard times. And yet here in the book of Exodus, which is in many ways is a divinely inspired narrative for your discipleship, God is putting out a picture of him not just leading his people with a pillar of cloud and fire, but providing for their needs supernaturally. What we find here in the text is God brings bread from heaven. And I want us to pay attention because if we watch closely, verse 4 will testify to us that it's a test. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you everything. Will you believe me? Will you trust me? That's what we're going to see as we work through this text. And then Moses begins to explain what God's doing to the people. Verse 4. 11, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, he's now explaining 
One of the phenomena that happens in Exodus is you often have the explanation from God to Moses and the explanation from Moses to the people. You wonder why I miss verses sometimes. It's because it gets tedious going through all those multiple explanations. At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now I'm going to jump ahead to verse 31 because it describes it better for us. Because I want to get to this early. Verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Church, what I want us to see in this text is God providing for his people. And I want you to see that he's doing so qualitatively. He's doing so in a way that is beyond any kind of expectation. He's doing so in a very meaningful way that imparts care to them. God doesn't shortchange his people. In Papua New Guinea once, I was given as a meal a bread cake made of sawdust and water. That's what we were eating that day. In Africa once, I ate a little cake that was powdered charcoal mixed with cow's blood. That's what we were eating that day. God here does not provide that. God provides wafers that taste like Honey, now I want you to think about that for a second, because I want you to consider that in a broad case, I'm not going to be categorical, most of us like honey, correct? Most of us think honey tastes good. And what I want you to consider even for a moment is the reality that the fact that honey tastes good is actually a testifier to the fact that God loves you. Because he doesn't have to make honey taste good. So the fact that God makes things have a good flavor that is pleasing to you, it's like when you go home and your your mom makes the beef stew that you loved as a kid, and you're like, Mom loves me. That's what God is doing with honey. Every time you have it. So if you're like one of my kids and you take a peanut butter and honey sandwich to lunch, eat that sandwich knowing God loves you. That's why it tastes good. And so when God creates these wafers that taste like honey, it's not just a bland thing that God is giving them. God is actually giving them something pleasing. He's giving them something sweet. And we shouldn't miss that. We shouldn't miss the fact that God 
purposefully does good things for his people that are beyond the expectation, which is we're hungry. God gives them something good, but that's not it. In the evening, God brought quail. I don't know if you've had quail. It's good. When we were first married, Pam and I would often go out and we'd be about and we would need a meal. And she would say something to me like, we should get a smoothie. And I would say, what? And she would say, a smoothie. And I would say, but a smoothie isn't a meal. And she would say, yes, it is. I grew up in a meat and potatoes and a vegetable kind of house. For me, honey-flavored wafers would have been good, but it wouldn't have cut it. God doesn't just provide honey-flavored wafers. He also gives them quail every night. Friends, it's easy for us to miss, but I don't want to miss it. God is providing for his people qualitatively in that he's giving them good things, things that will sustain their body, things that will make them feel loved and encouraged. And he does it so purposefully. I want us to see the quality of God's care for his people, even while he leads them. Verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, they gathered much. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. An omer is roughly two quarts. My family, there are five of us, would gather ten omers. Or ten quarts. We'd get five omers, ten quarts. Every Sunday through Friday, God was providing... And God was providing in such a way that it was always sufficient. If you look at the text, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Why? Because what they gathered was sufficient. His provision was sufficient. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Why? Because what God provided for them was sufficient. It met their need. They didn't need more. They didn't need less. When they were faithful, he was faithful. Verse 19, the test. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any part of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until the morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with him. 
Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. When some gathered too much, it went bad. God's testifying to them, I'll be enough. It's this little picture of gathering together with your family and saying, you know, we don't know if God's provision tomorrow is going to be enough, so let's hold some back. Let's make sure that tomorrow we've got extra. God says, no. God's testifying to them that every day he planned to be enough. Every day he planned to be sufficient. So that as it, the day would go on, these little flakes would melt. And they'd have to trust him. Verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. Two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept to the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink and there was no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there was none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Do you know, here in Exodus 16 is the first place the Sabbath is mentioned. It's the first place the Sabbath is instituted amongst God's people. And what becomes instructive about this moment is this is not a people who are farming in this season. This is a people who are moving around. So when God testifies to them, I want you to know I'm providing for you. God's actually testifying to them, I'm providing for you such a way that my provision will be so good that I want you to rest and trust me. When it comes to Saturday, that was the Sabbath back then. When it comes to Saturday, I want you to wake up and you, you don't even have to pick up the flakes. Because I want to set aside a day for you just to know. For you just to recognize that I am sufficient. So that you don't even have to go out and look. I've provided two days worth on Friday so that you will know I'm enough even for your rest. Church, we'll get into this soon enough. We'll walk into the Ten Commandments. But some of us need to take rest with more seriousness. Some of us need to consider that rest is a biblically instituted idea that God is testifying to that I am enough. I am sufficient even for you to rest, which is to say it's not on you and it's not on your shoulders. Verse 32, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that you may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness 
when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. Again, God institutes before his people a remembrance at the beginning. I want you to take a jar, I want you to fill it up, I want you to keep it. We'll find that again in the book of Exodus. But they're keeping it, they're remembering God's faithfulness. Verse 35, the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. The book of Joshua testifies to the fact that the the manna stopped coming when they crossed the Jordan River. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is a tenth of a part of an ephah, in case you wondered. The people of Israel ate manna for 40 years. Now I want us to think about that. 40 years, God, every day, six days a week, provided enough for his people. The Lord provides quantitatively. We got to quality. He cares enough about you to give you good things. God cares enough to provide for you quantitatively. Now, if we just want to play with it for a second, we could talk about the fact that God provided two courts for over two million people seven days a week. We could run some math and have some fun, but that's not my aim here. God provided manna for 40 years. Think about it this way. I stand before you as a 47-year-old man. If I had 40 years of manna, this is the parts of my life it would carry me through. It would have carried me through puberty. It would have carried me through my teenage years. It would have carried me through three major, and I mean college major, shifts in college. It would have carried me through the losing of my mother. It would have carried me through losing a job that I dearly loved. It would have carried me through trusting him enough to change everything about my life in two days. It would have carried me through meeting Pam. It would have carried me through marrying Pam. It would have carried me through having all three of our kids and the tireless nights of babies and terrible twos and troublesome threes and fours and all of that. It would have carried us through all of the long nights. Friends, what I'm wanting you to consider for a moment is 40 years of provision is not a day. And it's not a week. And it's not two weeks. 40 years is such a substantive time that it would take you through almost every season of life. God is trying to testify to these people that I am enough. And it doesn't matter what season of life you're in. I'm going to be enough. I'm going to be sufficient for all of it. Day in and day out. Consistently meeting your needs. So you will know that I am your God. 
God provides for his people. And he does so quantitatively. He does so consistently. And he does so purposefully. We see this in the book of Exodus. Now I'm going to show it to you in the New Testament. And we're going to bring it to 2022. In John chapter 6, Jesus points to Exodus 16. That's why we're coming to John 6. To go to John 6 to give you context, Jesus has just fed 5,000. If you recognize 5,000 men, that's probably 12,000 people. Long story. Jesus walks on water, and the next day the crowd begins to ask him questions. John 6, verse 28. The crowd. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Question. What do we need to do to please you? That's the question. Verse 29. Jesus answers. This is the work of God. You want to please me? I'll give you the answer. That you believe in him who has sent me. You want to please God? Believe in him who sent me, sent Jesus. Verse 30. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Why should we believe in you? Jesus' answer. I'm sorry, verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus' answer, verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, church, if you're picking up this same word that is bread in Hebrew is translated then into Greek in the New Testament, it's the same word, manna. You could find it here when God, when Jesus answers, for the manna of God is he who comes down from heaven, gives life to the world. They say to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Jesus elevates the conversation. You want to please God. Believe in me. I am the manna. I am God's provision for you. I'm God's qualitative provision for you. I'm God's quantitative provision for you. I am the manna. Jesus takes them directly to Exodus 16, takes them to Moses and says, it wasn't Moses who provided for you. It was God who provided for you. And I am that provision. You think you need bread and quail? Jesus says, come to me and you will not hunger. You think you need bread and quail. Come to me and you will not thirst. 
Jesus is elevating the conversation to give them a, a better, more satisfactory, better, more satisfying, a better, more deep answer. I will be enough for you. Friends, as we're gathered together this morning, we're gathered together amongst the people who are constantly looking for something to make us feel better. We're looking for something to resolve the tensions in our lives. We're looking for an anecdote. Jesus is the better answer. Consider his teaching in Matthew 6. Again, Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Could there be a better word written into our culture? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now we could stop and go, what's Jesus doing here? Is it hyperbole? Friends, it would be dangerous to make this hyperbole. Jesus is testifying You are going to go looking in the world for things that you will find fulfillment in. It might well be clothes. It might be food. It might be entertainment. It might be sports. It could be academics. It could be achievement. It could be money. You're looking for something. In 26, he points to the birds and goes, they don't work. So all of our money, all of our achievement, all of our ideas about profession and career being fulfilling, church is not going to be. It's an empty pursuit. Your heavenly father feeds the birds. Does he not care about you more than the birds? Of course he does. 27, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Do you know how much we try to be in control? So this new guy preached a while back and he was talking about the fact that all of us are going to blueberries and spinach hoping to stave off cancer. Do you think you can add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He's pointing you not just to birds. He's pointing you to flowers. Look what I've done. Look at my sufficiency. Look what I've been able to accomplish with this. It's simple. I want you to see it. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the fields, so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Church, hear that. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. In Matthew 6, Let me give it to you this way. Jesus is not chastising you. Jesus does not speak Matthew 6 so that I would speak Matthew 6 so that you would walk away and feel guilty so that you would feel like I'm not elevating Jesus to the right position. I'm at where I'm at because I don't do it right. That would be to entirely miss the gospel. That would be to entirely miss the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. What Jesus is doing in Matthew 6 is elevating your eyes to him. To recognize that what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross is so sufficient and so complete that by believing in him, you would ascend to a place where you would believe He's in control of everything. And that you could trust him with absolutely everything, including your clothes and your food, the very nuances of life. He's testifying to you that he is enough. He's making appeal to you to lift your eyes. Church, to, to believe in Jesus. To put your hope in Jesus, to be renewed in Christ, to know that He is sufficient. Church, what I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus is our provision. I appeal to you often to put your nose in this book, to spend time here. I want you to know I don't. Do it so that you'll feel chastised, so that you'll feel like, I don't read my Bible, I'm not a good Christian, I'm not a good person, God must not be pleased with me. No, I call you into your Bible so that you would read it and you'd say, man, I can't believe Jesus did that for me. He must really love me. He must have a tremendous affection for me. That he would accomplish that for me. And man, in Christ and knowing what he's done and understanding what he's done for me, I can live because I'm free. Church, Jesus is entirely sufficient for every part of your life. And we're supposed to live with this freedom to know that we've been redeemed completely. We owe him nothing. We can't add anything to what he's done. 
I want you to hear this morning that Jesus is a qualitative provision. And by that to understand that God sent his only son, the most valuable commodity in all of time, space, and existence, to pay the price for your sin and for mine, that we would be redeemed, that we'd be forgiven, that our debt would be paid. Church, you can't add to that. Jesus is enough. And I want you to know that Jesus is your provision quantitatively, meaning he'll be enough today. Church, he'll be enough today for whatever today holds. And some of you are going to have bad days today. Some of you are hanging on by a thread today. What the word of God would testify to you is that Jesus is enough already today for you to lean in. And Jesus is going to be enough tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. In fact, Jesus is going to be enough through your very last breath and then some. Jesus is Enough. What's really fascinating, I'm off script now, so I get in trouble. I had two verses I was going to end on, I'll end on one. Philippians 4, 19. Paul writes, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, if you want something to read and study this week, I'm pointing you to Philippians Four, Because if you read up through to verse 19, you'd find Paul testifying, I've been through hardship, I've been through excess, Jesus is enough. So Paul testifies, God will supply all of your needs. Church, I want to tell you, I want to proclaim to you, I want to profess to you that wherever you are in life, Jesus is is the provision that God has given us that will meet all of our needs. Because what he did at the cross is sufficient. That's my proclamation for you. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is a good thing to read and study your word. Father, that we could come to stories like Exodus 16. We could see you leading your people. We could see you providing for your people. And we could stop here in 2022 and wonder how it impacts our lives. Father, we have bills to pay. We have mortgages and rent and clothes and food. Father, we have so many things that can distract us away from what is the main purpose and thrust of our lives. Father, Satan desires to discourage us. He desires to get us caught up on all these nuances of life. Father, it is my sincere prayer for us this morning. It has been this week. 
that you would allow us as a church to lift our eyes to Jesus Christ. To see the sufficiency of Christ. To know that he is enough today and he'll be enough tomorrow. The way you provided for your people in the wilderness, you provide for us now using the bread of life. Father, would you give us the grace and the mercy and the strength to lean into Jesus more and more and more, not because we're enough or strong enough because we aren't and we won't ever be, but because he is. Lift our eyes to Jesus. We pray.